Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Listening colour. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. It's where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Alex Carlton, founder of Funkin' Cocktails, the fruit puree and cocktail mixer brand. And more recently, he's the co-founder and CEO of Strike, the non-alcoholic spirit company. After leaving school at 17, Alex moved to Los Angeles, where while acting, writing and working for TV commercials directors, he developed a love for smoothies. They were the new thing, he says. And after returning to the UK, unable to find smoothies like those in LA, Alex decided to use a secondhand fruit machine to produce and deliver fresh drinks in London under the name Funkin. I always loved the idea of building a brand, he says. I never had any experience of doing it, but I realised the power and potential. The business, diversifying to sell purees and cocktail mixers, was soon a global success. Within a year of selling the company back in 2015, Alex was drinking an alcohol-free spirit and tonic drink with a friend when they realised they could create a better product and capitalise on an increasingly popular sector. I think you can see a pattern developing here. Strike. All the spirit, none of the alcohol, it says here, was launched in 2018 with its first two drinks, Not Gin and Not Rum, followed by Not Vodka in 2019. Hello, how are you? Good morning, Elliot. I'm very well, thank you. And thanks for having me on your show. Absolute pleasure. I'm really happy to have you. I always do research on people. A great fun part of the job that I do. You're one of those people that falls into the category of he left school at 17 and he's gone out and he's not set up one successful business, but he's set up two. Hopefully the second one's going to be as successful as the first. Do you think today that you wouldn't be where you were if you'd have gone on to university and done the things that most people do? It's a really good question. I always had a, an entrepreneurial tendency and flair at school growing up. I was never an academic. I was interested in learning, but I was more interested in business and making money and always, always fascinated by brands. I remember playing a lot of tennis as a kid and 11, 12, 13 years of age, loving Adidas as a brand. I just always wanted the latest Adidas gear. And it sort of resonated and stuck with me for as it does for life. For many people now, you buy into a fashion label, a food brand, a coffee brand. Brands are so powerful and they have such emotional connect to people. And I think I probably would have succeeded better in the path I've taken than had I decided to sort of pursue a, an academic course in university. I read also that you, you were in the recruitment world briefly, by the sounds of it, I didn't check the, the number of days or weeks or, or, or months or years. And then I looked at the fact that you were also involved in commercials and you were doing a bit of this and a bit of that. Where does this creativity, this, fr- this desire for freedom come from, do you think, in your life? Because again, just looking at your, your life for the last 25 years, it's been, you, you, you've told the story in your way. Where's that desire come from? I think part of it is due to my late father, who was an entrepreneur, always designing new products, ideas looking to bring products in from the Far East back in the sort of 80s and early 90s and, you know, being exposed to what is possible with design and technology and innovation. I've always liked and loved innovation and been fascinated by design. And I think maybe it's partly, I'm a left-hander. I think you, you always hear left-handers have this sort of creative part of the brain. So I think it's, it's probably part of my DNA as well. 
And I know that your father, as you said, your late father, he was an entrepreneur and he would, you know, look left, look right, look east, look west, wherever it was that there was action. How much of an influence did that have on you as a kid? Did he talk about what he did a lot? Because, you know, often now, you know, we're parents and I don't know how much we, we change the course of our children's lives. It's certainly not intentional. But what do you think was going on in your own childhood with him? I think one thing to share, I'm an only child. And so I had a lot of attention and spent a lot of time with my father. And he was really in his own head. He was a fantastic, fantastic black guy. And, you know, all, all my friends loved him and he was really entertaining. But I suppose I was watching and learning and listening. What I picked up, he always had the latest innovation or trend coming in from the Far East. And it'd be an importer and then sort of rebrand, remarket, and then have a team of salespeople. But it all felt very stressful and almost archaic, even though it was a different time of life. We're talking in the sort of 70s and 80s. And I recognized if he wasn't on the ball, he couldn't relax. And the reason being, he didn't have a brand. He had products. It was very product-led and sort of latest ideas. And I recognized, you know, if you want to be able to put your feet up for five minutes and have a business that's still working, a brand will always deliver as long as you're investing behind that brand and building it. Now, I say that when you build a business, you never put your feet up for five minutes. You're, you're on it 24-7. But that's, that's the passion that comes from building a brand. You fall in love with your brand. Yeah. And when you see the reaction your brand has to people, it's a deeper affiliation you have and, and the passion is driven harder. So I think there was definitely, definitely influence from him but in a very different way, in a different channel, for sure. Yes, it's sort of, it was in, in and amongst, it was almost by osmosis. It sounds like you you took it all on. Your first business, Funkin' Cocktails, and this the short story I said about the spotting the smoothie thing and then making it happen. What was the, the hardest part of that journey? Was it the initial bit of actually getting it off the ground, taking your idea and making it happen? Or was it as it scaled, if you look back? Which bit did you actually find the most grueling? The, the most grueling part of that journey was probably the first six to eight weeks of running that business. It was a grassroots business. So basically, I had a, a small investment from a good friend of mine at the time. And this guy was in real estate and had the old C&A department store in Wembley. And this was now vacant because he used to rent these shops to the sort of pound stores you see around the country now. And we ended up taking the catering kitchen on the top floor where I installed a secondhand juice machine. And I'd make six flavors of smoothies. And that was quite grueling work. We'd have the fruit and veg delivered through the night. I'd have a young guy help me juice these blends. And then I'd had a smart car. It was the first smart car in London, which are obviously common cars now. And I had it logoed up and branded with Funkin' Juices. And I would literally be driving into Soho on a daily basis, like a milkman, but a juice man, dressed in juice gear, had the Carhartt shirt and the Carhartt trousers with Funkin' Juice logos on and be delivering to Vogue House to all the Condé Nast girls. I'd be driving through Soho to the production companies, knocking on doors at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 a.m. And by midday, I would have sold maybe 200 smoothies at two pounds. And this was exhausting, you know, it's five days a week, then back to Wembley, getting the next production ready for tomorrow. It was the freshest juices. So the first six weeks were the most grueling, but equally the most rewarding, because what that did is unearth an opportunity whilst I was in Soho, I started knocking on the doors of restaurants and restaurants were saying they have a requirement and a need for freshly squeezed juices for their cocktails, apple juice for their customers, you know, standard drinking. And so very quickly, I pivoted that business from making smoothies and 250 mil single serve plastic 
bottles to three litre cartons of apple juice, lime juice, lemon juice, and started serving to like Marco Pierre White's uh, Titanic restaurant at the time and the Atlantic bars and little bar groups. And very quickly after six, seven, eight weeks, pivoted the whole business, took on a route to market, a distributor would actually deliver the product into the bars. So I could just focus on bottling the juices and looking at new recipes. And I suppose to answer your question, the, the hardest part was early days, the first six, seven weeks, you know, scrambling around town, driving in the rush hour, up and down stairs in offices for three, four hours in the mornings. But, you know, it teaches a lot about people, dealing with customers, getting honest feedback to your product, and then unearthing other opportunities and pivoting slightly from dealing with the consumer, from having a B2C and straight into a, a B2B. Keep your eyes and ears open is the message if you're thinking about setting up your business beyond the exhaustion of the first, in Alex Cotton's case, the first few weeks. The pivot has paid off somewhat. Stay with me for much more from my business shape. It's Alex Carlton, CEO and co-founder of Strike. He'll be back in a couple of minutes. Right now, we're going to hear a taster from the Mishcon Academy digital sessions. They can be found on all of the major podcast platforms. Mishcon Susie Sendama and Emily Dorotheo talk about how fashion brands can be more sustainable while maintaining profitability and what consumers should be doing to support sustainable fashion. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. It seems that for some consumers and some retailers, it's all about price. How can clothing brands maintain profitability, but have an ethical supply chain at the same time? It's a really difficult question. And I I sympathize so much with brands on this, because like you say, I think consumers are predominantly driven by price simply because we've enjoyed low prices for so long. I mean, the stark reality is, is that it's it's extremely difficult to sell something for three pounds when the UK minimum wage is eight pounds 72. Um, in order to make that maths work, someone elsewhere in the supply chain ha- has got to be suffering, I think. I think a united approach is needed from the industry simply because if you have a proportion of the the fashion sector that is deciding to pay people fairly, inevitably they're going to have to increase their prices to sort of to make up for that. And then you might have a divergence where some are paying people fairly and have increased prices and you have others that might not be taking that path and they're more competitively priced. I mean, the things that brands can do in terms of improving their supply chain and making sure that there are no modern slavery occurrences in their supply chain is to have a real understanding of what goes on. And that can be achieved by conducting risk assessments and supply chain audits. So you know exactly where the risks are sitting. You know, do you know whether the factory workers are being paid minimum wage? Is there a way for the factory workers to easily raise grievances with brands? And that's definitely something that we at Mishcon can can help brands do. We've got an exceptional experience in the retail sector. And we've recently launched a, a new part of our business called Mishcon Purpose, which helps clients plan for a more sustainable business. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can hear all our former Jazz Shapers and hear this very programme again by popping Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. Or if you've got a smart speaker, you can ask it to play Jazz Shapers and there you'll find many of our recent shows. But back to today's guest, it's Alex Carlton, the founder of Funkin' Cocktails. They're a cocktail and mixer brand. And he's also the co-founder and CEO of Strike, the non-alcoholic spirit company. Alex, 
you talked about those first few weeks. You talked about the pivot, probably before people called it a pivot. It was just good common business sense. When you realized this was the gap and you, you needed to exploit it, how fast did you build up the resources required, i.e. people and any other infrastructural things? And doing it for the first time, was it fun not having a clue what you were doing or was it actually quite stressful? Once I made the pivot, I really quickly got a grasp intuitively of what I was trying to do. So I knew immediately I had to get a, a distributor on to do the, the hard, the last miles into the restaurants and bars. That freed up my time to start doing more selling because ultimately you're selling a product early days. Then I, I recognized some of my new competitors that I've stepped into the space were selling purees, which the bars were using to make the fancy cocktails. So really quickly, I found a fantastic company in the EU that manufactured these fruit purees and the silver foil pouches. I ordered a pallet in with my own labels on and this product sold out overnight. I mean, literally immediately, you know, a couple of hundred cases of each flavor. So I doubled the order and then started a mail order system with the rest of the UK bars in Manchester, Edinburgh, Scotland, and so on. And the orders kept coming in. People wanted the fruit purees to make cocktails. At this point, I realized I was onto quite an interesting business. So I moved into one of my, my distributors in Elstree, actually, a, a company that specialized in delivering dairy to the sort of five-star hotels and high-end restaurants in central London. They were the, the route to market, and the owner there kindly offered me a desk in the offices. thought this was perfect to work from my wholesaler. And at the same time, I spoke to somebody I know for a higher level of investment to act as my sort of chairman somebody with experience. So, you know, mm. uh, got a, an investment of about £100,000 at the time, which was, you know, used more for cash flow than anything. So it's quite expensive equity to give away at the time, but it was the right thing to do. And then accelerated forward, we took offices in Queen's Park, in Lonsdale Road, these lovely little muse houses, which is sort of a, a funky street. Now you have all these They're young cobblestones. Yes, they're co they're yes. cobblestones on that street. So there was a lovely Italian restaurant there, if I recall, I think, and I can't remember the Ostuni. That's the one. Amazing. Food from Puglia. Yes. Absolutely. So it's a lovely little street and they've got these beautiful muse houses. And I built my first team in there. So there was sort of five of us initially, a branding person, a person in sales. And then I recognized the need to bring on a proper CEO. You know, so I'm sort of three or four years into this business. Things are happening. I've got a couple of countries importing Funkin and have a couple of products in Waitrose. We had this lovely peach puree. And Waitrose was the first customer, and then Tesco started ordering the same product. And I've done this with no experience. I'm like, this is fantastic, but hold on, there's something here. I need some help. So one of my suppliers, I kept in touch with the uh, sales director, a guy called Andrew King. I said to Andrew, when the time is right, would you come and be CEO of Funkin? And let's run this ship together. He said, absolutely. He, lo and behold, he made contact with me. Came on as CEO, and that was like a massive learning curve. It was just like an explosion of information. I've never seen things being done the way they were. And I always say it's like I've, I did my MBA by working next to Andrew King. And Andrew and I built this business over, you know, to 2015 into a global business, multi-product, multi-retail points and grocery points and distribution points, and exited it in 2015 to the Scottish drinks company AG Bar, uh, the guys that own obviously Iron Brew and Rubicon and so on. Great team, fantastic people to do business with. And I suppose the rest was history. 
the learning from other people bit of it, did it all make perfect sense at the time? or was And was it like, oh, right, I'm wrong? Or was it a bit more collaborative than that, where actually your instinct and your hunger and your creativity changed the way that, was it Andrew you mentioned? I think it was Andrew King, yes. Was it a bit more of a kind of coming together? Or was it genuinely you at the foot of the master, as it were? I think it was a combination of the both. I think my eyes were open to the way business could be done in the drinks industry. A, how the drinks industry operates, what it takes to build relationships, unlock opportunities, and most importantly, bringing the structure into a company when you have an, a headcount, a number of staff that you're relying on to do a job and ensuring you're getting the most out of them in a way that everybody feels valued, comfortable, mm. and equitable. But also, you still you still want those people to be hungry and creative. And and how much of a contradiction is the structure in there? Or did you did you find a really cool balance where you were able to take on more people, more scale, more complexity, and yet each individual was still in the mold of Alex Carlton saying, come on, what's up next? What are we going to do? Brilliant question. Andrew and I were so well together and we are still partners in strike andrew is the chairman of strike and as you mentioned earlier i'm running the business as ceo and we in 20 years of working together we've never had a bad word i mean it's just mutual respect we discuss things through and when we speak to our team and people that we have both worked with i think there is real balance people respect andrew's opinion and the sort of governance and structure he would bring to the business which I tend to do now, but that has taken, you know, a number of years of learning and finding my own discipline. And the sort of more maybe laid back approach or familiar approach that I bring to the company and enabling people and ensuring people feel the freedom to explore, express, have that entrepreneurial spirit. There's there's no bad idea. Let's share ideas. Let's 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 talk about what we can do to make this thing better as a team and have a sort of a flat structure as opposed to I'm the boss and you're not. Yeah. And I think that works so much better collaboratively and you get the best out of people, not because you want to get the best out of people for you, but for them, for the company, for the greater yeah. good of the shareholders. And you can see, and I'm seeing it now with Strike, we have a really small team, but everybody is fired up. Everybody's really excited by the opportunity, the brand, the, the market that we're in. You see it come back in on email, on phone calls, when you meet and talk to people, the, the compliments to the brand, the product, the liquid, what we're doing. And you can just see, you know, your team glow. And I think that is the biggest reward about being an entrepreneur and starting these businesses. When you can start seeing people thrive and flourish within your business, there's, there's, there's no better payback. He's smiling very widely, just so you know. We'll have a final chat with my guest there. That's Alex Carlton. And be playing a track from Muddy Waters. That's in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Alex Carlton is my business shaper. We've been talking about all sorts of things and, and the journey that you have been on as well. You said very sweetly, there's no no ideas are bad ideas. And, and of course, both of us know that's not true. There's plenty of bad ideas out there, Alex. And I have many of them, and I'm sure you have quite a few as well. It made me think about how you know relaxed you are. Here's a guy who set up a business, sold it. You're into business number two, and it's growing, and you've got backing, and you've got a track record. All these years where you've, you know, you've gone from doing your own thing into this point, you seem very calm. Are you just really good at hiding 
the fact that you're you know you're flapping furiously inside or is this have you reached a state of much of a much calmer feeling in your life because you've achieved so much already i think having exited one business obviously brings a level of luxury to one's life which you know i'm very appreciative of and understand you know it's uh, not a given when you start a business that you're going to see an exit but also i think it's experience i'm determined on the second time around to really enjoy this journey and clearly as you mentioned i have the experience after 15 years of building funkin cocktails into the sort of household brand it is today there's loads of learnings there and having some time out to decompress just a couple of years post the acquisition by ag bar it's time that sort of releases that pressure valve and decisions are kind of easier to make. And now that I'm running the business and building the team, I have more responsibility. My business partner, Andrew King is chairman. He's still chairman over at Funkin. So he's busy on two businesses, which means more lands on my lap than it probably did before. And it's about stepping up to the mark and calmly sailing into the wind, if that makes sense. And these last, it makes perfect sense. And these last couple of years, obviously, that the last 12 months has been overshadowed by pandemic and all of us spending more time at home. Have you come to understand what drives you and what your values are outside of work? And if so, how has that influenced the way you are in your business? Well, that's a big question. I think I'm way more appreciative of time, utilising every minute of every day, which actually can be quite detrimental. So my head doesn't stop working. I mean, weekends, evenings, I've got ideas with Strike and I drop a couple of the team members a WhatsApp and they'll get back. You know, people are stuck at home at the moment, right? There's not a lot going on. So when I'm not thinking and working on Strike, I'm trying to maybe learn a little bit of Spanish on Duolingo, an app, or I'm doing an extra round of yoga, or I'll go for another jog, or I'll try and learn how to make a turkey pot pie on YouTube, you know, Jamie Oliver recipe. I'm, I'm really conscious of utilizing every minute of every day. Not for any reason that I think, you know, my time's up, but I just love to do stuff and keep feeding the brain and learning and pushing forward. I think it's, it's more interesting than sitting back and just watching a Netflix. And by the way, I do that too. I think time is valuable and there's so much we can achieve. And a good friend of mine, you know, is the CEO and co-founder of The Office Group, both Charlie and Ollie, who I know you've had on before. And we talk about this a lot, Ollie and I. It's just, there's so much we want to do. It's, you can't help how your brain, as, as entrepreneurs, as you know, human beings, the way we're cut. You just want to do more and achieve more. And like I said earlier, you know, no idea is a bad idea. Of course, there are bad ideas. But ideas come to me like nonstop. Andrew always jokes, you know, Alex will come into the office with another five ideas this morning. But I love talking about the ideas. And if you get some stickiness from one or two ideas and you can make that happen and an idea is born and developed in the way Funkin was, in the way Strike is, the rewards are fantastic and you can't take that away. It's been brilliant talking to you. Keep coming up with those ideas. It sounds like um, whatever I say, it wouldn't stop you anyway. Um, I'm sure your team appreciates it. I'm sure you'll have a fabulous journey on Strike as well. Thank you for your time. And it is precious. You're absolutely right. Great, great words of wisdom and advice said too. Just before I let you go, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? I have chosen Martha and the Vandellas, Dancing in the Street. It's just such an upbeat tune. And I remember the first time I heard it, I was, I think, about 13, and it was Live Aid. And David Bowie and Mick Jagger did a, 
did a cover. And that was the first time I think I recognized or heard the song. And I just absolutely loved those two doing it. It was priceless. And I thought for Jazz FM, I thought that was a, a good, upbeat Saturday tune. That was Dancing in the Street from Martha and the Vandellas, the song choice of my business shaper today, Alex Carlton, a left-hander. Very important to note for you out there if you're a left-hander. Uh, definitely are creative people. He loved innovation. That's what he talked about. It was in his genes, in his blood. He loved brands, and he understood the power of brands at a very young age. And as he's grown into his role and into his life, really interesting take on the notion of time and how he's super appreciative and more appreciative of the power of time. Really good stuff. That's it from me today. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoyed that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers.